Friends, welcome to the third Sunday of Easter. We continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and to read the stories, the accounts of his resurrection appearances to his disciples. And so we're gonna do that this morning. Just before I read though, let me invite you to pull out your bulletin and notice in the center panel is the Connections Journal. This is a guide for your prayer and study through the week. There are scripture readings for each day as well as questions for reflection. And so we hope that you would take this and use it. Let it guide your prayer and study each day. If for some reason you didn't get one, grab one of these on the way out and we'd love for you to have it. Okay, for today, we're reading from the Gospel of John chapter 21. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to Open and read along from verses 15 through 17, or you can follow along on the screen as I read. This is John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. How many of you have ever been interviewed for a job? Is that everyone? Almost everyone? How many of you have ever been on the other side of the desk interviewing someone else for a job? Yeah, I've done both uh, multiple times. And you know, the more I do it, the more I realize how hard it is to get it right. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? You think you got the perfect job and then you show up and you realize, whoa, this is not at all what I wanted. Or you think you have the perfect candidate and they come and they work for a day or a week and then they quit. And you're like, oh, back to the drawing board and back, back to square one to start all over. So let's have a little thought experiment today. Let's pretend that you're the hiring manager and you have to hire someone for a job. And I've got three candidates for you and you get to pick which one is your favorite, Okay. So candidate number one, let's talk strengths and weaknesses. Candidate number one, a self-motivated overachiever. This person is really driven. They're gonna be incredibly hardworking for you. Uh, Weakness, a little quick-tempered and a a very, very high opinion of themselves. Maybe that's no problem in your organization. Maybe it is, but let's look at candidate two. Candidate two, very passionate, absolutely sold out, for the mission. Um, However, willing to use violence to achieve political goals. Maybe that doesn't matter to you. Maybe that is important. I don't know. Uh, Depends on what kind of organization you're running, right? Okay. Uh, Candidate number three, excellent at handling money. Uh, Served for years as an accountant. Um, On the downside, undermined the previous CEO and uh, quite nearly ruined the organization by taking a bribe. Okay, so you got three choices, one, two, or three. Uh, Who would take candidate one? Who would take candidate two? Who would take candidate three? One person, okay, that's more than the last service. Uh, So here's the amazing thing, friends. Uh, Jesus took all three. Jesus took all three of these people as his 12 disciples. Uh, So candidate one is the disciple John. 
And John was a bit of a hothead and a bit arrogant. And um, so he wanted a special place. He said, Jesus promised me, you know, that I get to sit at your right hand next to your throne. And uh, there was one time this community was a bit inhospitable to John and the other disciples. And so John's idea was, hey, let's call down fire from heaven and destroy them. And Jesus was like, whoa, dude, no, we're not doing that. Uh, so that's John. Uh, the second one is Simon the Zealot. Now, we don't know a lot about Simon, but we know that the Zealots, uh, very familiar with the Zealots, a first century political movement who wanted to rebel and who did rebel against the Roman Empire by any means necessary, including violence. They used violence to, to fight back against their oppressors. And the third candidate, do you know? Judas. The third candidate is Judas, uh, who was the group's treasurer. Uh, so uh, he handled the money, he carried the purse, and for 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. So by the way, if you were willing to take candidate three, that means you're as good as Jesus, because Jesus also took Judas uh, very willingly into his group. And so what's amazing, friends, about these three people is not that they had shortcomings. We all have shortcomings, and uh, we're not necessarily that amazing. What's amazing is Jesus still took them he still recruited them. He still included them, even knowing their shortcomings, even knowing their failures, uh, an arrogant hothead and a political extremist and a betrayer. Jesus included them in his inner circle of 12 people. Welcome to uh, week two of our two-week series. It's called Uncommitted. And we're, we're kicking around this idea. It's a pretty wild notion, actually, that even when we are not committed to Jesus, he is still 100% committed to us. So I want you to get your head around that this week as we think and talk together. Uh, last week, we talked about doubt. And we talked about this character, this disciple who has come to be known as Doubting Thomas, and how he really did not want to believe in the resurrection until he could touch the nail marks in Jesus' hands. So Jesus showed up and he said, hey, touch my hands and touch the side where they pierced me. And he said, Thomas, do not doubt but believe. He said, believe in me. Here's the evidence. And we pointed out that even in the midst of our fears and our uncertainties and our doubts, Jesus invites us to believe in him. He gives us evidence of his resurrection in our lives, in our hearts, and he says, come and believe in me. Now, today I want to talk with you about a similar idea. I want to talk with you about failure. I want to talk with you about the idea that all of us have failures and that even when we fail, Jesus still includes us. Jesus still loves us. He still wants to be in our life and us in his life. And so I wonder if you have ever felt like a failure. I wonder if you have ever had failures in your life. I have, plenty of them. Uh, I think about school, right? And there was a certain subject where you just were not that good at it. And you tried, you tried your best, but it turns out you are not good at English or at math or at science or whatever that thing was. Or maybe um, in sports and you were in the playoffs and you had dreams of the trophy that would sit on your shelf in your bedroom, but you lost the game and you went home feeling like, oh man, you missed, missed the opportunity. Uh, or maybe at work, you had a project you were responsible for and you crashed and burned, right? And it did not go well. And you thought, oh man, I'm gonna get fired. I remember one time I messed up at work. It was my first job after college. And I thought for sure I was getting fired. Now, by the grace of God, I didn't. But man, it was, it was close. It was close. Or maybe in our relationships, right? We have failures in our relationships. 
And so people who we love, who love us, our siblings, our parents, our kids, our spouses, our friends, and the relationship for some reason doesn't work, right? And we feel like, oh man, I've failed. I have failed at this. But it's not just us, my friends. The closest friends of Jesus also had failures. People we mentioned like John and Simon and Judas. But the poster child for failure among the 12 disciples has got to be Peter. Got to be Peter. I don't know if you know Peter's story. I want to give you just a little bit of Peter's story in case you don't know it. And I'm aware not all of us know it, and that's okay. Uh, So Peter was a fisherman. And one day he was fishing out of the Sea of Galilee and this rabbi named Jesus came and said, Simon, his given name was Simon. He said, Simon, son of John, come and follow me and I will teach you to fish for people. So Jesus had this imagination where the fishing boat was kind of like a church and fishing for fish was kind of like fishing for people. And so he thought Peter could help him bring people into this movement called the church in which God was going to save the world through the grace of Jesus. And he not only thought Peter could help with that, but he imagined Peter as a leader, right? He imagined Peter as his right-hand man, as the go-to guy. And so, uh, you know, he was able to help Peter do amazing things. One time Jesus walked on the water on the lake out to the boat where the disciples were in the boat, and the disciples thought it was a ghost, But Peter was the one who got out of the boat and started walking on the water toward Jesus. Another time, uh, Jesus was asking the disciples about, who do people say that I am? And Peter spoke up and he said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, you're right. And not only that, you could not have known that by flesh and blood. That could only have been revealed to you by my heavenly Father. And so we understand Peter had this sort of special revelation from God in heaven who who spoke to his spirit. And so Peter uh, had this amazing journey with Jesus. Uh, In fact, uh, Jesus even had a special role for Peter. In Matthew 16, verse 18, he said, now I say to you that you are Peter. So his given name was Simon, but he called him Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So Jesus called Simon Peter because Peter means rock. And so Jesus imagined that Peter is this rock on whom Jesus is going to build his church. And so what do we know about rocks? Rocks are strong. Rocks are steady. Rocks are tough. So tough in this case that even the power of hell cannot conquer it. Fast forward to Easter. Jesus has died, he's been crucified, he's been raised from the dead on Easter Sunday morning, and he appears to his disciples over the course of the next 40 days. Many different appearances, some of them recorded in the scriptures. And one of those stories is the one that we read just a few moments ago of Jesus. He's on the beach with his disciples. They had breakfast around the campfire. They ate fish and they ate bread. And then after breakfast, Jesus takes Peter aside and he has kind of a one-on-one conversation with Peter. Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus did this weird thing. Uh, He asked Peter again the same question, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, you know that I love you. And then Jesus did this even more strange thing. He asked Peter again a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the story says that Peter had his feelings hurt because he thought, well, Jesus is questioning me here. 
He's certainly doing more than just articulating a question. He's questioning my motives now. He's questioning my heart. He's questioning my commitment. And so Peter says, yes, of course, you know everything, Lord. You know that I love you. So what is the deal with these three questions, the same over and over again? Uh, well, it helps if you know a little of the backstory. So let's go back. This campfire on the beach is reminiscent of another campfire that happened a few days before. It was Good Friday in the morning, and Jesus was being put on trial before the high priest. And Jesus and John went into the courtyard where the high priest was so Jesus could stand before the high priest because John was known to the high priest, but Peter was not. So Peter stayed outside. And the story goes like this. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. A servant girl said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter replied, I am not. Peter denied being a disciple. He said, no, that's not me. You got the wrong guy. And as Peter stood there by the fire warming himself, someone else asked him, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter said, no, no, I'm not one of his disciples. And then one of the high priest's servants said, didn't I see you in the garden with him when we came to arrest him? I know for sure. You were there, man. I saw you. And Peter said, nope, not me. You're thinking of someone else. Three times Peter denied Jesus. You know, one of the great ironies of this part of the story is that Jesus, who is on trial facing real danger, tells the truth. But Peter, who is not on trial, not facing any particular kind of danger, he cannot tell the truth. And so Jesus, who refuses to deny the truth, is contrasted with Peter, who refuses to admit the truth, that he is a disciple. Which is weird, right? Because Peter wants to be the hero. Peter imagines that he's the best Peter imagines himself as the Superman of the group. After all, hey, Jesus told me I'm the rock, right? I'm big stuff. I'm important. But in the hero moment, he fails miserably, catastrophically. Peter fails. Peter denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. What happened? What happened? He was supposed to be the rock, Maybe it's not that surprising when you think more about who Peter is because Peter's a willing follower, yes, but Peter's also impulsive. Peter has this habit of uh, promising more than what he can actually deliver. Peter has this way of, of being sort of foolish and selfish and scared, and sometimes he's just plain wrong. He's wrong about God or he's wrong about life. And so he is the rock, yes, He's the rock, but, but sometimes Peter displays the less than favorable attributes of what it means to be a rock, right? So rocks are strong and rocks are steady, but you know what else? Rocks are also dense, right? And so back in my day, when we wanted to insult someone, we would say uh, he or she is dumb as a box of rocks, right? So that's kind of Peter, right? He thinks he knows it all and turns out he's just, he doesn't have a clue. He doesn't have a clue. Who, who would have guessed that Peter would have failed? 
Well, Jesus actually, Jesus guessed it, Jesus predicted it. On the night before Jesus was gonna be crucified, he met with his disciples and they had the Eucharist, they had the Passover feast together and then he washed their feet and he said to them, look, you know, where I'm going, you cannot come. And of course, uh, what does Peter say? Peter says, hey, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, die for me? And then parenthetically, there's a ha right in there. You can't hear it, but it's there. Die for me? Ha. I tell you the truth, Peter. You will deny three times that you even know me. Right? So look, Peter, there's no way you're going to die for me. You won't even acknowledge in public that you know who I am. You see, Jesus understood Peter's true character. It was Peter who didn't understand Peter. He, had very, he scored very low on the self-awareness scale, right? He wasn't very clear with what his strengths and his weaknesses were. But Jesus knew, Jesus understood. Jesus understood that uh, Peter was often overestimating his loyalty and his commitment. But we do the same thing, right? Don't we do the same thing? Don't we make commitments and then not follow through? Okay, I'm gonna lose 15 pounds. I'm gonna hit the gym three times a week at least. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this book. I'm going to read my Bible every day, every day. But uh, New Year's resolutions usually fizzle out, right? At least by March, if not by February. And so, you, you know, you, you got that treadmill at Christmas time, but by now you've sold it, right? By the way, if you go on Craigslist today, there's like a bazillion treadmills on there. You can get one for real cheap because all those people who for New Year's resolution went out and bought a treadmill, they have finally accepted the fact that they are not gonna run on it. We are people who are prone to failure. We make commitments and then we don't follow through. Just like with Peter, failure comes easily to us. It comes naturally much more than we would like to admit. One of the greatest stories of failure uh, is in our own Methodist tradition, actually. It's the story of John Wesley coming to America. Anybody ever heard that story before, John Wesley coming to America? Oh, several of you. Okay, cool, great. And there's a Wesleyan clergy person sitting right in the back who knows that story, Seth Cotton. All right. So John Wesley was a priest in the Church of England in the 1700s, but he wasn't sort of your typical priest that you think of. He was evangelical. He had a burning desire in his heart to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, and one of the groups he wanted to reach uh, were Native Americans, American Indians, people who lived on this continent before the white people came from Europe. And so what he did, John took a boat from England in 1735, and he sailed here to the United States, to the great state of Georgia, which makes Pastor Matt very happy because he's a Georgia boy. So Wesley came to Georgia, but the trip seemed like a disaster from the very beginning. So on the boat on the way over, a huge storm came up and it threatened to drown all the people who were on the boat. And John Wesley wrote this later in his journal. He said, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being on a boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and figure you're going down? Well, they thought they were going down. Everybody was screaming, but uh, somehow they survived and they arrived safely in Savannah. So when he got to the colonies, Wesley set to work straight away to evangelize the Indians. Uh, he spent months 
laboring day and night to share the gospel, to try to convert Native Americans to the Christian faith. Uh, But here's the thing, he was not successful. There was no discernible fruit of his efforts. Wesley himself described it as beating the air, right? You can imagine how how fruitless he felt, how foolish it seemed, and all his efforts were for naught. Now, on this trip, uh, Wesley also did something else that's noteworthy. He met a young lady named Sophie Hopke. And Sophie was a fair maiden, as they said back in the day. And so John began to fall in love with her. He was giving her spiritual counsel. He was pastoring her, but he realized he loved her. But he felt conflicted because he wasn't sure that as a priest, he should marry this woman or if he should stay, quote, sort of married to God. And so he prayed about it and he prayed some more about it and he prayed some more about it. If you know anything about John Wesley, you know he's very deliberate. So man, he's just praying the heck out of this thing. Meanwhile, dear sweet Sophie, she gets kind of tired of waiting on brother John. And so she goes and marries a different guy. So John still being her pastor, John says to her, look, your new marriage is uh, causing a decline in your Christian devotion. It's hard to read that any other way besides sour grapes, but that's what he said to her. And get this, she came for Holy Communion in the worship service, and you know what John said? You may not come. I will not serve you communion because you are not in right relationship with God. Now, how do you suppose that went over for Sophie? And how do you suppose that went over for Sophie's uncle, who was the chief magistrate in Savannah? Not too good, not too good. So John found himself in legal trouble. There was now a court order and he had a court appointment. So what did John do? Brother John got on the next boat and went back to England. (laughs) (laughs) True story, by the way. This is the spiritual founder of our church. You know, really devoted, not so good with the ladies, though. I mean, when I was courting women, I was always sure to let them come to communion. I mean, that's the first rule, no? Guys, are you with me? All the guys know what's up, okay. So by all all measurements, this was an utter failure, right? He got himself in trouble with the law. Uh, he He was terrible in love, relationship, And maybe worst of all, he did not bear any fruit in evangelizing the Native Americans. Um, And so it seems like a failure. And it seemed like a failure to him. It might seem like a failure to us. But friends, here's the catch. We know that God uses our failures to do great things. And so the seeds that John Wesley planted in the colonies in the 1700s, many of those seeds took root and began to grow and began to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So that now, here today, 2019, there are over 30,000 United Methodist congregations in this country. There are almost 7 million people who call the United Methodist Church home. Now, that's extraordinary. Now, let me say, I acknowledge that we are in danger of a split, and our denomination is facing very difficult times, but none of that can undo the impact that Methodism and the Wesleyan movement has undoubtedly had on the people of this country. And so John Wesley considered it a failure, but God said, I can take your failure and I can make it into something good for God's purposes. Okay, back to the beach. Uh, The last time Jesus and Peter had talked, uh, Jesus said, look, you're gonna deny me. Peter said, no way, I never will. Turns out Jesus was right. I want you to imagine Uh, your friend, your Lord, your Savior, you're standing next to him on the beach. The last time you were with him, he told you what you would do. You swore you wouldn't, and you did after all. Imagine the sinking feeling in your stomach. 
that you would have when all you have to say to him is, I'm sorry. That's all you have to say to him. Now, this is the moment, right, when Jesus had every reason to say to Peter, hey, man, I gave you your chance. <laughs> You're done. You're out. You're out of the group. Or he could have said, Peter, I told you so. I told you that you would deny me, and you did, just like I figured. You know, you're always failing me, Peter. But he didn't say any of that. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Right? Because Jesus still loves Peter, and he's wondering if it's mutual. Peter, do you love me? This is amazing grace, my friends. This is amazing grace that Peter was not particularly committed to Jesus. Oh, he was committed when it's convenient, right? He's committed when it makes Peter look good. But when push comes to shove, in the critical moment, no way. That commitment is nowhere to be found. But Jesus is still committed to Peter. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is still committed to Peter. Jesus chose him in the first place. And then after every failure, Jesus continued to invite Peter in to this inner circle, to be a part of this movement, to say, Peter, I still love you. Tell Peter I still want him. He's part of me and he's part of this thing that God wants to do. Jesus chooses and uses people who fail. Friends, that is the message today. Jesus chooses and uses people who fail, like Peter, like John Wesley, like you, like me. The miracle of God's grace, you see, friends, is not only that God has overcome sin and death by the resurrection of Jesus. That is the miracle of God's grace. But the miracle of God's grace is also that the location of that victory is in your heart and in my heart. Now, see, that's the part that's extraordinary because God does not have to use us to save people through Jesus, but he does. And he says to you, would you come and be a part of this salvation would you come and be a part of the work I want to do in the world to transform this world with my love? And this is the paradox of the gospel, that the God who never fails so willingly uses creatures for whom failure is a regular habit. You know, for all the harsh reality about Peter, for, for all the criticisms that we could level about and to Peter, this is a story about grace. My friends, this is a story about grace because Jesus still wants Peter. And, and this is where grace can be a little hard to swallow because from this moment on the beach and forever and ever, Peter can no longer assume that the reason Jesus wants him is because he's so great, because he's so smart, because he's so capable, because he's so committed. Because you know what? Peter's not any of those things. <laughs> he's not smart and he's not capable and he's not committed. Right? But Jesus still wants him, which means it's not because Peter's so great. It means it's because Jesus is so great. It is the character of Jesus Christ to include Peter, even when Peter has failed. It is the character of Jesus Christ to include you and me, even when we have failed. And so Jesus is able to provide to Peter everything Peter needs because Peter is still going to be the rock, right? The failure has become the foundation. And if Jesus can do that for Peter, imagine what he can do for you.